Good morning. We'd like to welcome you to church this morning with the beautiful sun shining outside. Let's stand and worship our God together through song.
Father, we thank you for the gift of Christ Jesus. That through his death and resurrection, we have forgiveness and we have life eternal. We've come today to celebrate all that you have done for us in Christ. To open our hearts to you once again and we thank you for your spirit that is here with us. We pray that you would help us to worship you with every part of our being today. And we pray this through Jesus. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. Good morning this morning. I'm Zach Roan. Um, some of you may know me, but I'm sure many of you are going to be familiar with what I'm going to share about. Um, as a missions moment this morning, we're going to be talking a little bit about a local mission that, that you can be a part of, um, wherever you are, and that's the beauty of it. Um, uh, some of you may be familiar with um, John Van Wicklin and, and the, the program that he's begun in this area called Royal Family Kids Camp. Um, and it's a, it's a camp that, that works um, to heal, in, in many ways, the um, children of abuse and neglect. Um, in America, we have 3.6 million cases of child abuse and neglect that are reported every year. And that's not to say all of the, the cases that go unreported. Um, they estimate that one child, um, one victim dies every six hours due to this kind of abuse. This camp, this Christian organization, seeks to, to help to change that. Um, in 2012, Royal Family served over 6,000 kids at 160 camps in 35 states and 11 countries. Um, that's 80,000 kids since the first camp in 1985. That's, that's, that's an amazing mission right here in the U.S., the nation's le- and, and abroad now. The nation's leading program of its kind, and I think the best part is that it's rooted in Christ. These kids get exposed um, to Christ while they're at this camp. Um, the mission is to create life-changing moments for these kids, and the purpose is to mobilize the faith community to make a difference. Um, and our local camp is actually based out of Houghton Wesleyan here. Um, we serve Allegheny and Wyoming counties. Um, this year... We've celebrated our 20th anniversary, um, 20 years of this camp going on in our, in our area. We, we estimate that that served about 300 kids, 1,000 camper weeks. That's, that's pretty cool. Um, and we, we, we think that, you know, we've helped to, to serve not only the kids that we've had at camp, but also those uh, families that they go back to and the children that these children will eventually have. Um, so what does it look like? Well, camp, we have lots of positive memories for the kids. We have um, every kid's birthday party, because a lot of these kids don't have birthday parties. Um, so we give them one. Um, we, we have a carnival day. We have 
um, motorcycle rides. We have um, connects and crafts, and, and they make tie-dyed T-shirts, and, and we have a, all kinds of things for them, all kinds of people to spend time with them. Um, if you've had a chance, uh, maybe you've seen the, the camp movie that was shown. We showed it here a year ago in, in the Houghton Chapel. Um, and it's also available on Netflix now. It's worth taking a look. It gives you a glimpse into what camp is kind of like. It gets the sentiment um, fairly well. But we have at our camp um, 50 to 52 kids every summer. Um, that takes 80 adult volunteers, consisting of about 50 staff members and 32 counselors. Um, that's a, a total of 130 people that need prayer. And that's, that's the mission that I'm here to ask you about today. Uh, we're, we're staffed for this year, um, and I'm not, I'm not here to ask for donations or anything this morning. I'm here to, to enlist volunteers to pray, um, because it is a week that is intense. Um, it is 24 hours a day uh, for, for the counselors and the staff, and, and, and we're, we're working uh, intensively with these kids, and we need that prayer coverage, and we, we like to see uh, amazing things happen that week. Um, so the responsibilities of a prayer partner means that prior to the week of camp, you jot down a little note. It's nothing major. Um, I mean, you're going to be writing these to kids or, or, or staff um, or, or counselors, so you know they're going to be they're going to be busy. So you don't need to write any long letters. Um, but it, it's a note that gives them encouragement. You're going to get the name, uh, uh, the the first name. Uh, of the person you'll be praying for, and then you'll sign your note. So that these kids get so excited when they open that envelope up, and, and they see that, wow, somebody I don't even know is thinking about me this entire week, every day. And that's that's it's it's a really neat experience. Um, so we're going to ask that you submit a note via that note via email. We'll take care of it of getting it to the to the child or the or the staff member, and then during the week we ask that you pray for the assigned person. Just pray for them every day. Nothing major. Um, so how do you sign up? Well, I will be standing in the, in the back of uh, the sanctuary at the end of the service. Um, ask that you come and, and sign up. Just give me your contact information and we'll get a hold of you soon um, in regards to um, the, the, the person you'd be praying for during the week. Thank you very much. Thanks, Zach. I appreciate that. And I do encourage you to, um, to get involved this way. I may not be able to go to camp, uh, but you can certainly pray. And so uh, please take a moment and talk to Zach after the service this morning. It's a great ministry, a great outreach, and we're excited to be a part of it. There are a number of things in your bulletin uh, to uh, note. We are uh, tomorrow morning at 6, beginning our annual prayer vigil for our graduates and uh, high school and college. Uh, the prayer room is ready. All the names are there on the board. And there are still some times available. You can actually sign up right after the service this morning in the back. Um, and we're looking at this 36 hours, basically to concentrate our prayers on praying for our graduates. So thank you in advance for your hour or more, if you want, of uh, praying for them. And uh, you can sign up to be in the prayer room uh, at some point beginning tomorrow morning at 6. It ends Tuesday at 6 p.m. Uh, Last week I mentioned to you that in the fall we are uh, doing a sermon series on questions that you want to ask, questions, things that you're thinking I'd love to hear a sermon about. And there are uh, 
three by five cards in the pew racks in front of you, different colors. Uh, we're still collecting those. We got quite a few last week. We'd love to get more. So uh, if you haven't turned one in yet, or maybe you did and you have another question, that's fine. Uh, just grab those. You can throw it in the offering plate, or uh, you can. There's a basket in the back, or just drop it off the church. You can also email any one of us at the church office, and uh, we're collecting those over the next couple of weeks and to prepare for that series. Uh, we're also at the point where we are just a couple weeks away from the election of our leaders here at the church. Uh, the ballots posted around. We also have created a booklet with uh, the pictures and a little bit of information about everyone who's on the ballot. Please take one of those as you leave today. There's also a budget in the back as well, and we want, those are available to you to take. You can also access those through our church website as well. And uh, there's an insert in your bulletin with a number of things on it. On one side, it's about children's church volunteers, and we really need people to help with children's church as our college students leave for the summer. They do a lot of the staffing of children's church, so if you can help out, greatly appreciate it. It's a way to invest in our children. And uh, we love them. I was just praying this morning and I was walking through the building as I typically do on Sunday and just felt a real burden about our children. And uh, we all know that uh, how, how different their lives can end up being uh, depending on the influences they have and the things that happen in their lives and things we would have never dreamed children end up doing as they get older. And my prayer as I was thinking about these children walking around the classes was that God would protect them and that we would be a place where they would find a solid foundation for life. And this is one of the ways in which we do that. There's also mention here about Sunday school. And if you can help out with that, that would be greatly appreciated. And it's a way of investing ourselves in the future and in our children. So thank you in advance for your participation in our children's ministry. Uh, you also uh, see the church cleanup day on the 17th and uh, the vision meeting on the evening of the 18th. Also, please note that our worship schedule changes next week. As college year is ending, we are changing our worship schedule next week. We just have two services, 8.30 and 11. So just note that and you see the list of uh, service times over the course of the next few months. We also, uh, I don't know if we have any uh, people here today, any college students who are graduating. Do we have any students in the service who are graduating? Any college students? We might not. We have a lot of them in the next service. We might not have any in this one. Okay, we're going to... Oh, Mary is. Okay. One. So we're all going to gather around Mary. <laughs> I'm going to ask those of you who are around Mary just to maybe come near her and put your hands on her. We want to pray for her. Are there any others? Anybody else here, college graduates this morning? A couple of weeks we'll pray for our high school graduates, but we want to focus on college graduates this morning. So... Okay, if those of you who are around Mary just want to lay hands on her, we want to pray for her this morning. Father, we thank you for the privilege, not only of education, but of supporting one another in the family of God. We thank you, Father, this morning for Mary, for her life, for all the ways in which you have helped her through the years of her time here at Houghton, for the way that uh, things that she's learned, for the the development of her, her gifts, her abilities, and her walk with you. We thank you, Father, for her life and for all the plans that you have for her, and we pray for your anointing upon her today. 
as this coming weekend, she receives her diploma and moves on to the next stage of life, we pray that your grace would be upon her, your mercy would be upon her, and we pray that she would know your protective presence with her. Lead her and guide her in the days ahead. And we pray that that she would know your grace upon her every moment of every day. We pray, Father, that that you would um, help us as a church to continue to pray for her and to be a, a solid foundation as she thinks back to her time here at Houghton. Lord, we, we covered her life for you, and we pray for your grace upon her in the days ahead. We pray this for all the graduates, and we ask for your mercy upon each of them, that they would be filled with your spirit, with your power, and that they would go forth in the mercy of all that you have for them. Thank you for your faithfulness, for your goodness. And we place them all in your hands. Pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. We can ask the ushers to come now and assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings.
great I am, the God Almighty calls us to come before him with our concerns, our burdens, our words of praise. We're going to do that now, and as we pray together, if you'd like to come and pray at the altar rail, please come and join me. Otherwise, please be seated. Heavenly Father, we come today in praise and adoration for who you are and all that you have done. And we come to worship you. We hear your call to bring before you all the burdens and concerns of our hearts, our minds, our lives. And we do that now. We pray, Father, for all who are grieving. And ask for your mercy, your healing mercy and comfort in each life, heart, mind, spirit. We pray for all who are struggling with health concerns. We think especially of Bev and Edna, of Linda and Micah. We pray for Bill and Crystal and for Emily and for others who are on our minds and hearts today. Father, we pray for Wes and Dana Brown who are preparing to return to Kenya. We pray that you will help them as they raise support and as they travel, we pray that you would keep them safe. We ask for your mercy upon them and that you would bless their ministry. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters who face persecution We think especially of these young girls that have been abducted in Nigeria. We ask, Father, that you will protect them and that you would release them. We pray that you would would defeat the enemy who is trying to instill fear and anxiety. We pray, Father, that you would bring your power to bear on this situation. We pray for the families that are grieving, worried. Lord, we ask for your miraculous intervention in this place, in this circumstance of evil. Lord, we pray for your grace upon each of us. As we go about our lives, Lord, we need you. We need your mercy each and every day in our work, in our homes, in our relationships, in all that we are and all that we do. Father, we come to you today giving thanks for all that you have done, asking for your grace, for all that you have promised to do. Father, pour out your spirit on each of us. Pour out your spirit as we continue in worship. And we offer all of our prayers in the strong, powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The crucified one, the risen one, the one who has promised to return for his children. In his name we pray. Amen.
immediately following the scripture reading, children uh, who attend children's church and junior church are free to go. Scripture is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And are filled with an inexpressible, glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand as we sing. Yo 
What do you feel when when you know what's right and you do what's wrong? How do you think God views us when we when we go away from what we know he wants for us? How do you think God responds to us when when we, when we look at his plan, we look at what we know he desires for us, and we still walk the other way. Does it matter to God? I mean, does God think that much about it? Does it is it even something for us to be concerned about? And maybe you haven't even, maybe you haven't pondered the, that, those questions. Maybe you haven't really thought that much about it. But if you're like me, you have. You've pondered, you've questioned, maybe you've worried, and you're wondering, what exactly is God thinking? How exactly does God respond when I don't go the way that, I'm, that I know I should? When, when I struggle with something even again and again and again, and I keep failing? What does God do? How does God respond? It's it's not just a theoretical question. It's a real question because none of us are perfect. Because all of us struggle. Because God, when we read the scriptures, God seems to have pretty high expectations. And because sin and its consequences are real. 
And, and I, I was thinking, I think about that when, when I read this opening section of Peter's epistle. Now, when I, when I read the scriptures, one of the questions I'm asking myself is, why, why does the person write these words to this group of people? You know, and I know that all scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and so there is this general sense of, well, they're writing it because the Spirit said write it. But I think there's, there's something beyond that, something deeper than that, in the sense of what motivate, what the Spirit is doing to motivate the writer to write these particular words. I, don't, I think that they're not just coincidental words. The writer is addressing a particular issue to a particular group of people in a particular place. And so when we read something like Peter's letter, there is a reason that the Spirit prompted Peter to write these words. He is addressing something to those to whom this letter is written. And as you read through this letter, and particularly even as you read this first chapter, you see that Peter seems to be writing to people who are facing opposition, persecution for their faith. And it's wearing them down. In verse 6, he says, you are facing trials and they are hard. They're like going through fire. And it's difficult. And you get a sense when you read this that the people are wavering. The the pressure is intense. It's pushing in on them. And some of them are saying, what's the point? They're getting discouraged. They're getting frustrated. They're wondering, God, where are you? What are you doing? Have you forgotten us? And maybe some of them are even saying, this isn't worth it. And they're walking away. And Peter writes to them and says, not to, he writes not to chastise them, but to encourage them. And at the heart of his message is, you can be encouraged. I want to write something that will help you. And the heart of it is, Christ is risen. He says, beginning, he says in verse 3 that we have a new hope, we have a new birth, we have a living hope. Why? Because Christ is risen. If Christ were still in the grave, we'd have nothing. The cross would mean nothing. The the claims that, that the cross, that anything about our sins would be empty. But Christ is risen. And because Christ is risen, everything is different. Because Christ is risen, we are born anew. And we have a living hope. And despite everything that's pushing in against us, despite every opposition that is coming to us, we can live in hope and life. Now, sometimes when we think about hope, it's sort of a sense of uh, wishful expectation. I I wish this would happen. I hope this will happen. Yesterday, I don't know if you all watched this or not, yesterday was the running of the Kentucky Derby. And there were a whole lot of people there who were saying, I hope my horse wins. And we say, you know, I I hope I get this job. I I hope this thing happens. And and it's sort of like the sense of crossing our fingers, hoping it takes place. That's not at all what Peter's talking about here. Peter is talking about hope in the sense of confidence. He's saying, this is our confidence. This is what we dream about. This is what we have been promised. This is something from God. And that is it's because Christ is risen. Scottish preacher of the 20th century, James Stewart, 
said that everything, every sermon that was ever preached is about the resurrection. Every word that's been shared by the church is rooted in the resurrection. Everything that has been written in the New Testament is about the resurrection. You look at the Gospels, you look at Acts, you look at the Epistles, you look at Revelation. All of it, what's underneath it, what, what is, is transforming it, what is motivating it, is the resurrection. And the same is true of every promise of God to us. Our hope, our confidence, it's in the resurrection. And Peter says, it, but it's not just about now. Because hope is not just about how we live now, but it's having hope now because of what God has promised then. And in verses 4 and 5, Peter talks about the hope that is ours then. And he talks about an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. He says it will not perish, spoil, or fade. We have a hope. We have an inheritance that is secure. And he talks about these things that uses words that are the opposite of what we encounter here with earthly things. Because things in this earth do spoil. You know, if you leave food that's supposed to be refrigerated outside the refrigerator very long, you don't want to eat it. And he talks about things that perish. We know how easily something that we value can go up in flames. And we talk, he talks about things that can fade. We, we have emotions. We have feelings. We have experiences that it, isn't, it doesn't take very long and, and we can't remember them anymore. And Peter says our inheritance in Christ is the opposite of all of that. It does not perish. It cannot fade. It cannot spoil. It is secure. Because it's in the risen Christ. And for those of us who are raised and have our theological foundations in the teachings of John Wesley, we need to hear that. Because so often in our attempts to to not be misinterpreted or to make sure that people understand our position, we go so far to the other end that we communicate a a gospel, we communicate a, a mindset about the inheritance God has promised us that is anything but secure. In fact, it feels very insecure. That's how I was raised. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I, I, I've, you know, prayed to God or I felt all of this weight of guilt on me and, and felt like I was going to go to hell because I had maybe lied to my parents or I had mistreated my sisters. I hope that they felt the same way about all the times they mistreated me. <laughs> or had all these thoughts going through my mind about all kinds of things. And I lived not in the security of the promises of God, but in insecurity and fear and anxiety about my relationship with God and my eternal destiny. My dad and I have talked about this a lot through the years. And he was raised in an environment that was even more of that. 
He said, you know, he, he had these fears that if he, if, he had, if he had been in the wrong place at the wrong time, you know, places like maybe, you know, in his day it was, you know, going to a movie theater or going to a pool hall or places that they weren't allowed to go to. And if Jesus returned in that moment, you were dead. You were lost. Didn't matter whatever else was going on. You were done. And there was this, this sense of insecurity and fear and anxiety. And that's not what the kingdom of God is about. And when I think about it, it, it grieves me and it burdens me that, that we have communicated that message to people of fear. That we live in anxiety about our, our inheritance with Christ. Because what it really says is that the promises of God are unreliable. And it says to us that that the promises of God about who he is to us are untrue. You think about your own relationships, the people you love, the people you care about. How quick and ready are you to forgive them? If they do something against you, you're not going to give up on them in a moment. I mean, we talk about the people that are closest to us, spouse, parent, child, sibling, our close friends. These people we love, we've invested our lives in. They hurt us. Let's be honest. We, I mean, we hurt, we probably hurt the people who are closest to us more than anyone else. And we don't give up on them. We're patient with them. We forgive them. And yet, we have, sometimes we communicate this mindset about God that he is less forgiving and less patient than we are. And when we, but when we read the scriptures over and over again, if we talk about anything that's good and anyone who is good, God is more, far more than us. God is far more patient than any of us could ever dream of being. God is far more forgiving than any of us could ever dream of being. He is more reasonable. He is more loving. He's more compassionate. He is more caring than any of us could ever imagine being. And we need to live in that truth. That the inheritance that is promised to us through the risen Christ is secure. God will never leave us nor forsake us. And that needs to be the foundation of our hope. And it is because Christ who was dead is risen. He has conquered the enemies that come against us. He has overcome our sin. And we have a hope in him. But I think it's also imperative for us to note that Peter says here, he talks here as he moves on through this chapter, he talks about these things, this this hope that has come to you is is so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine. 
And he says that though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him. You're filled with this joy and you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I think it's important for us to understand that Peter is not just saying we have this inheritance that's secure. He is also saying there is a part that we play in receiving this inheritance. That we are called to live in faith. We are called to live lives that are continually given to Christ. When Jesus talks about discipleship, he doesn't say... I want you to have this one moment with me and then do whatever you want. When Jesus talks about discipleship, about following him, he says, take up your cross and walk with me. He talks about a life of surrender to him. He talks about a life of serving him, a life of giving all of ourselves to him. It is not just about a moment. It's about our life. And he's talking here not just about mediocrity, he's talking about passion. He is talking about a life that is given to being passionate for Christ who has risen and promised us everything. He says in verse 8, you've not seen him, but you love him. You've not seen him, but you believe in him. You have this passion in your souls for Christ. And there is a calling on each of us that is connected to this receiving this inheritance that God has promised us. This inheritance that is secure and firm and sure. It's about our passion for Christ. You think about passion. You think about earnestness. You think about sincerity. You think about being serious about something. You know, when I was young, I had a passion for playing baseball. And I would play baseball every waking moment. And when I went to bed, I dreamed about playing baseball. My mother had to drag me in from outside even to eat. And the only reason we stopped playing was to go eat. Even on rainy days, we'd try to find a place to play. The most disappointing thing in the world was not being able to get enough guys together to play. And we'd invent games that we could play with five people if that's all we had. Every waking moment, it was about thinking, how can I play baseball? And I had this passion for playing baseball. Peter says, that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. To have this passion for Christ where it just absorbs every part of our being, our thoughts, our actions, our attitudes, everything about us. You think about a relationship. If a relationship is one-sided, is it really a relationship? Is it healthy? We all know people, maybe we've had the experience of maybe of having a crush on someone and them not reciprocating that in any way. It's not really a relationship. And so as we come to our relationship with Christ, this, the, the inheritance he's promised us, it is secure. It is right, true. But he is calling us to a passion that connects us with that relationship and with that inheritance. 
What's so fascinating is that the one who says, I will never leave you or forsake you, even if we decide at some point to say, you know what, I don't think I want to hand, I don't be a part of that anymore. He doesn't give up on us. As the poet says, the hound of heaven pursues us to the end of our days. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. But he does give us freedom. And as Lewis writes, in the end, he says there are two kinds of people. Those who say to God, your will be done. And those to whom God says, your will be done. God is looking for that passion in us. And it may seem like we're talking about two opposite truths. And in one sense, we are. And I'm convinced that that God's calling on us is not to one extreme or the other, it's to both. I think it's essential for us to keep these two truths in tension and to live with that tension. Our tendency is to go to one extreme or the other. And part of that is because sometimes we're more interested in protecting our theological position than we are with our relationship with Christ. And we've all done it if we've thought about it. We, we've all done it. And if, if you have been around the church a while, you know that this is one of those theological debates that sometimes gets sort of hot and heated. And I think partly that's because we are more concerned about protecting our theological position. But the problem is, if we only live in one extreme or the other, it will, we will be tempted to go to the extremes in order to protect that position. And the temptation, if we, live in the, if we live in the extreme of security, the temptation is to apathy and indifference. And I'm not saying it always has to lead to that, but that's the temptation. And if we live in the other extreme of, of just it's all about what we do and it's all about how we are connected to Christ, then the, the temptation of that is anxiety and fear. That what if I mess up once? And the truth is God is calling us to both. He's calling us to celebrate the inheritance that is ours in Christ. And he's calling us to be passionate about Christ so that we know we have assurance and we celebrate with joy in our hearts. Because that is God's ultimate purpose for us is to experience his joy. His, ultimate, his goal for us, his dream for us is to live then and now in the joy of Christ. When you read this passage, you get a sense of Peter. He's so excited. Despite the, the turmoil they're going through and despite the persecution they're facing, he's writing to them and saying, yeah, I know you're facing that, but it's just for a little while. And what God has promised for you is so awesome that you can even get glimpses of it now. He wants to give you joy now in spite of all the stuff going against you. He wants you to live in victory. He wants you to live in freedom. He wants you to live in joy now. This new birth, this living hope that is yours now. And that's what he wants for every one of us. Dallas Willard said, I used to tell people there's no more joyous being in the universe than God. And Jesus too. Why else would people flock to him? Why else would children run to Jesus and want to climb up on his lap? Because Jesus was the epitome of joy. 
And sometimes people want to paint the picture of Jesus as stern. And God is stern and nothing could be further from the truth. Serious? Yes. But a seriousness rooted in joy. And that's God's desire. That's his plan for us. That's his passion for us. That we would know, we would live in the hope that is ours eternally. And the hope and the joy of passion with Christ now. Because the more we, we experience that, that hope and the more we live in the passion of Christ, the more of all that Christ wants for us is revealed to us. Because where does joy come from? It comes from Christ. It comes from the risen Christ. He is the source of joy. And the glimpses we get into heaven are simply intended to motivate us for the bigger, greater things of what God has in store for us. It's hard sometimes to think about sort of bridging this gap, living in this tension. I I read years ago something related to this that I've never forgotten. And when I read it, I thought, that's it. That, that it, just, it just resonated with me so clearly. And I like that sometimes I share it with membership classes and other people as we talk about this issue. But it's simply this. It's, it's one of those homespun ideas. So to imagine that being a Christian is like riding in a pickup truck. And Jesus is driving the pickup truck. And everyone who has made a commitment to Christ is riding in the back of the pickup truck. And some people think that the tailgate is down and it's kind of easy to fall out. And other people believe the tailgate is up and it's virtually impossible to fall out. But the real point of being in the pickup truck is not to see how close to the gate we can get and and see how uh, see if we fall out or not. The whole point of it is riding as close to the cab where Jesus is as we possibly can. When that's our passion, when that's the desire of our hearts, everything else takes care of itself. So this morning, maybe for you, you need to celebrate the security and the promise of our eternal hope. Maybe for you, it's reigniting a passion for Christ. Whatever the case, Hear his call to be as close to him as we possibly can. That we might know this new birth, this living hope, the joy that is ours in Christ Jesus, our Lord, who was dead and is now alive.
Heavenly Father, you know our struggle to understand, our struggle to live in this tension, our struggle with really accepting your joy and your hope and our struggle with passion for Christ. Father, today, help us to see a little more clearly. Help us to experience in a deeper way the joy that is ours in your eternal promise. And the joy that is ours in living passion for Christ. Thank you for all that you have given to us. Thank you for all that you've promised us. And thank you for what you want to do in us even today. We pray this through Jesus. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing together.
receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.